You are listening to the teaching ministry of the Commons Evangelical Covenant Church, located in Rochester, New Hampshire. Find out more about us at www.churchofthecommons.org. May God bless you, and this teaching serve you well. We've made the decision that between now, this gathering, and Easter, we're going to be in table rhythms. So for those of you who don't know what that means, the Commons really exists not just as a single congregation, um, but as a collection of microchurches, of really neighborhood, household-level ministries, groups of 12, 15 people that meet in a specific place to minister to a specific neighborhood or a specific people. And we always look at our gatherings, places like this, as an opportunity to bless and, and empower and equip those table groups. But the way we gather together like this for us is never the main thing. This exists to serve that, that the gathering exists to serve the table. And in this season, not out of fear, not as a reaction, and in fact, in order to not react, um, the, the leadership of the commons has decided we're going to lean into who we are as a people. We're going to lean into that local street-level leadership and gather in those ways for the next few weeks. It only impacts like one gathering on the on the schedule, but between now and Easter, we're going to lean into this rhythm. And for us, it's a bit of a Lenten practice. The season of Lent is one of fasting, of prayer, uh, of of uh, of meditation upon the cross and the death of Christ, so that we can celebrate the resurrection, the life of Christ wholeheartedly and with deep joy and as i was praying about it last night into this morning it seems like we're being invited into a season of lent of fasting as it were from celebrating together for a moment so that when we get together on easter we can celebrate that in a profoundly new way and so we're inviting you into that season if you're a member of the commons you can connect with your table group leader your kind of outpost leader if you don't know who that is, it's me, so you should talk to me. Um, AGM and their leadership, you're going to self-direct and figure out what is the best fit for you guys. This space is open. You can continue to be here. Uh, but for the commons, it's going to be table. It's going to be outpost-based for the next few weeks. Um, we just think that's, uh, that's an expression of what it means for us to be the church in this season, in this moment. If you have any questions, you can talk to me about that. But I also encourage... In these, this season, no matter what happens over the next few weeks, this is not a time for the church, again, to be reactive or in fear, but to lean in into, the, into reflecting Christ in the world. And so what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean um, to serve our neighbor, to love one another? You will undoubtedly have neighbors, friends, people in our own congregations who won't be able to leave the house. Um, by choice or by necessity, we may we may be doing grocery runs for people. You know, that that may be a, a relevant ministry in the weeks ahead. You may have people that you know. You may yourself fall ill, and we know that the leadership, the elders, myself, we we will we will come and pray for you if you if you want to be prayed for. We may have a ministry of prayer and going to those who are sick in this season. And so altogether, this is not a season of of retreat, of fear, but a season of reimagining what it means to be and live as the church for the next few weeks. 
And honestly, I'm excited about it. For the commons, it's, it's central to who we are anyway, and so this isn't a stretch. But I think a lot of ways, the church across the United States where, where we have um, placed so much stock in large-scale gatherings, kind of event-based ministry, having an opportunity to let that die a little bit and figure out how can we be the church unto, one unto another in our households, at the level of the street in our neighborhood. And that's core to who the commons is. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be leaning into that. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me about that. Next, we do have an annual meeting. Again, it's not a big enough gathering that I think it's going to be an issue, but we'll always put an asterisk on our plans for the next few weeks. Um, our plan, we have to get together to kind of vote on budget and that sort of thing. It's usually only about 20, 25 people. Um, so mark your calendars. We'll pencil that in if circumstances uh, uh, prevail such that we need to push that back. We'll put that into April. But for now, Saturday, March 28th, our annual meeting for the Commons. I invite you to mark your calendar for that. We're continuing our uh, 25K campaign through the end of this month. Again, we're hoping to raise $25,000 above and beyond our average for the past year to kind of keep our budget on pace. Uh, we've already raised $15,000 for that, so thank you. That's helping us end the fiscal year strong so we can think well about the next year, the next ministry season. So we encourage you to continue to give generously uh, if you're a member of the Commons, uh, particularly as those tax returns start coming in. That's a great opportunity to get us over the line. So prayerfully consider that. And our offerings, as always, uh, we have two offerings in the back, one for Abounding Grace Ministries, one for the Commons. Whichever community you consider your home, feel free to give to God, worship God through giving in the appropriate basket that way. You'll see we're doing communion a little bit different this week. I'll like to explain that afterward. I think it's a little self-explanatory, but we are doing it differently. Um, but I will explain that when the time comes. Fair? Good? All right, we're doing great, and we're going to be okay. And God is doing going to do some things. I think crisis, challenge, precipitates growth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to teach us as followers of Jesus what it means to trust him more. It's going to teach us new ways to be wholeheartedly in pursuit of Christ in these days. He's going to lead us into new ministries. And so I invite us all as a people of God to open our hearts and to lean into this season in that spirit. Um, kids, uncommon kids, if you're in pre-K through grade one, you're going to go with Mr. Chris Brewer there downstairs for uncommon kids. So, Abel, I see you. You're going to go with Chris here. So uncommon kids can go with Mr. Chris here. And the rest of us, we can turn to Judges chapter 6 for the ministry of the Word. In Judges chapter 6, we are continuing our ongoing teaching series that we've entitled Called. We're, we're looking at instances in Scripture where we see God just speak to a person and call, invite them into something. Because we believe 
We believe that as bearers of the Holy Spirit, as followers of Jesus, that each and every one of us, a follower of Jesus, is called. We are, by that very virtue of our claiming Christ, we are called into the purposes of God in the world. I'm fond of saying that there is no bench. There's no bench on this team. Everyone is on the field. Everyone is on the court when it comes to the kingdom of God. And so the question is not, am I called? But how am I called? What is my calling in this kingdom of God as a follower of Jesus? Um, in broad strokes, we know what our calling is. It's to become more like Christ. To image Him in the world. To bring the kingdom to bear on earth and His purposes. But what does that mean for you personally? What does that mean for me in my circumstances, with my family, with my gifts, with my challenges and blessings? Um, and that's where discernment comes in. And so we want to be able to discern the voice of God. That when God speaks to us, when God calls us, we want to know what his voice sounds like. We want to understand at a deeper level, like what are the kinds of things that God says and invites us into? And so this series was looking at instances where God speaks to a person that we get better acquainted with his voice. And today we look at Gideon in Judges Chapter 6. For context, um, what we're seeing here is the people of Israel have, again, they've been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've spent a generation in the wilderness wandering around. They've been led finally into the promised land where they're going to make a home. They've kind of staked out their territories. And God said, now that I've, you've done what I promised to do, I've given you a home, a rich and fertile place to be my people, now live as my people. Here's the covenant law. This is what it means to be the people of God. You're going to live this way in this land, and if you do that, I will bless you richly. But do not, do not go astray. Don't, don't pretend or, or, or falsely believe that I, the Lord, am like all these other false gods that the tribes around you worship. Don't worship them in the ways that the tribes worship them. Abominable things, child sacrifice, cult prostitutes, all these crazy things. You're going to be tempted to worship me or think of me, the Lord says, in those terms. And you must not do it. Because if you do, the Lamb will spit you out. If, if, you, if you refuse or reject the covenant of God... You lose the promises of God, right? This, this is a this is a relationship, okay. And so, what we see through the book of Judges is really cycles of Israel just doing that thing of dishonoring the covenant and falling into a bad way, crying out to God, being rescued, and then messing up again. These kind of these these cycles of downward um, activity. Right, where Israel just gets worse and worse and darker and darker, and the refrain is, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right, This is kind of like the cycle we see. But in the midst of this, we have micro stories of these little cycles of, of sin, of repentance, of rescue. And Gideon is one of those stories. So in chapter 6, verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil, in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, 
And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they'd encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, leaving no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they'd come up with their livestock and their tents. They'd come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites and those in the land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we pray you would bless and take this reading of your word, this this. These stories, this history, this account of your working in history to reveal yourself and your goodness in the world and to, and to raise up a people for yourself. And we, we claim, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, because of Christ, that we are your people and this is our history. And so we pray we would receive it as such. We come to know you better and to grow ever more in your image and in grace. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe this is a silly question in, in days of global panic and pandemic. But do you ever do you ever feel fearful? Do you ever feel inadequate? Inadequate. Like like, whatever it is that the world is going to require of you today, you just don't have it. Do you ever wake up and feel that way? Like, I just don't got it today. Like, it, the, I, I don't have the strength, the smarts, the money, the heart. Man, just the time. 
Do you ever look at the world, or maybe just your daily news feed, and just feel overwhelmed by it all? Like, are, are you ever tempted to fear or to hopelessness? Or maybe just to apathy, like this is just too much for me to even try to care about. Is it all just too much? Sometimes. So, I, mean, I, I think that, that it's a natural thing to feel overwhelmed from time to time. Because it's a big world with big problems. It's full of viruses and violence and politics and money and natural disasters and, and systems and forces that just seem way beyond our pay grade, way beyond our ability to make a difference on or, or control. And sometimes even if we're like, if we hold this in proper context, like even in our context of incredible abundance, like no matter how hard we may think we struggle right now, we are living in, in the, the season in history, the, the context in history that there's never been abundance like this. There's never been abundance. There's never been excess. There's never been comfort available to human beings like there are in our time, in our day, and in the, the regions where we live. We're like, the, the, even in that context, like that is true. Even in that context, sometimes it seems or it feels like it, it, it's all we can do to just survive. Sometimes it feels that way. Just to like manage our own affairs, our own lives. It seems like it's all we can do to just, you know, stay employed, have a few friends, keep the kids healthy, the bills paid, right? I mean, never mind anything else. It's like, heck, like pandemics, trade wars, climate change. Like, I'm just trying to, like, not mess up my tax return and, and make sure I wash my hands for long enough, right? Like, that's about what I can handle. The rest of it just seems like too much. I think it's natural to feel overwhelmed sometimes by just life. It's easy to go through our days in, like, survival mode feeling like we don't have much else to offer anybody. I mean, never mind like the Lord and his purposes, right? In our, in our last time together, we talked about this idea of calling and, and the inherent risk in it. We talked about calling. To, to, to hear God speak a word of calling over life comes at a cost. We, we talked about how it requires courage to embrace our calling from God because the very nature of calling is such that it will inevitably change us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to stretch us, draw us beyond the end of ourselves. And we named, last time we were together, that popular lie, that popular lie that says, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. We just named that as a lie, right? When the truth is that God will always give you more than you can handle. And that's the point. Because it's not more than he can handle. We name that. And so we name the, that we need courage. We need the courage of God's presence and the courage of his promises if we're going to embrace the calling that he's going to speak over our lives. That's what we talked about last time. But when we're in, when we're in survival mode, 
We don't tend to feel very courageous. We're just getting by. You know, I think when we're in survival mode, the, the thing we feel most completely or most often is just tired. It's exhausting to survive sometimes. Because in that weariness, when we're overwhelmed, we're actually resistant to calling, I think. Because we just don't feel like we're going to have what it takes. Whatever it's going to be. When life itself, when just getting out of bed in the morning is like already too much. And we're already in over our heads all the time. It's hard to believe that we have anything to offer to God when he calls us and invites us into his work. And Gideon certainly felt this way. Gideon felt this way. You see, Gideon is, is a picture of a man who's in survival mode. He, he, he is just trying to make it through the day. When we meet Gideon, the picture is comical to, in this regard, right? That we find Gideon, he's literally hiding in a hole in the ground. Okay, Scripture tells us that he is threshing wheat in a wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. The idea of threshing wheat in those day and age, you do it on a hill so the wind would blow all the stuff you didn't want away, right? Gideon is in a hole in the ground, threshing wheat. He's hiding. He is trying to process just enough grain to make just enough bread to feed his family without the neighborhood bully coming in, finding him, beating him up, and stealing his lunch. This is Gideon. And it's to this man in that place that the Lord speaks to him and calls him, Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, and you are going to save Israel from their oppressors. To which Gideon, from his hole in the ground, replies, Excuse me? Excuse Say what? Come again? Like, from where Gideon sat, he clearly wasn't the guy for that job. Not only did he simply doubt, he simply doubted that God really was with him or anyone in Israel at that time. He shoves, like, he shoves this resume of disqualification in God's face. He's like, yeah, no. Read, read the, go, look at my LinkedIn profile, okay? Right? I am the least in the household of the weakest clan in Israel. How could you imagine that I am the person for that job? Says Gideon. I don't have what it takes. It's all I can do just to get by. I am not the leader you're looking for. This is what Gideon says to God. But the Lord we find, doesn't actually accept that deflection from Gideon. Because the Lord knows exactly what Gideon has going for him, and that is that it's the Lord who's calling him, right? And the Lord says, in essence, Gideon, it's not about what you've got. What matters is that I've got you, and I will accomplish what I intend to accomplish through you. And so we receive this word. I think as we look at Gideon, that no matter who you are, and no matter what you've got, it is enough. 
It's enough in the hands of the Lord. That when God calls you, when God calls us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've got, it's enough in God's hands. Okay. In 6.12, again, this, the angel appears to Gideon and says, the Lord, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, please. <laughs> like, please. If God's with us, why is all this stuff happening? We're all the wonderful deeds. The Lord's forsaken us. And then the Lord, this, I love what he says to Gideon. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please, how could I save? I, uh, I'm the least of the weakest. But I'll be with you, says God. And I love this. Go in, the, the, go in this might of yours and save Israel. In the NIV it says, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. Again, I love everything about this exchange. I love the ways in which Gideon is clearly not being portrayed here as some sort of like paragon of faith or heroism. And one of the unique things about Scripture is that it is profoundly transparent about the flaws and failings of our spiritual ancestors. All right? It shows their weaknesses. It shows their insecurity. And it shows this, the unpreparedness and really unwillingness of Gideon is on full display and his response to this call of God is, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough courage. I don't have enough strength, popularity, whatever. And the Lord says, well, whatever you do have, let's go with that. Go in the strength you have. And it will be enough because I am enough and I'm the one who's sending you. Go in the strength you have. And it strikes me that we see this kind of exchange a lot in the Scripture. Where we look at Exodus, right, and God is having a very similar conversation with Moses. He's like, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people Israel out of slavery. They've been in slavery for like 400 years, the most powerful empire on earth. You're hiding out, herding sheep in the desert. You're going to go. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to lead my people to freedom. And Moses is like, What? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Again, very similar conversation. Like, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's not going to even see me. People are not going to believe you spoke to me. You know. And God's, God's answer in 4 is great. Chapter, Exodus chapter 4. Moses answered, Behold, they're not going to listen to me or my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Get out of town. That's my translation. Um, and then the Lord's answer is this what is that in your hand and Moses is a shepherd right? he's like it's my staff and God's like well, work with that <laughs> right? like, what is in your hand Moses says I'm not the guy for that job I don't have what it takes and God says well what do you have you got a brother take him along you got a stick that's good enough we're going to Pharaoh We see it in First Samuel. We're introduced to David, right? This giant Philistine, this enemy of Israel, is taunting the God of Israel, and David is just a shepherd boy, young, slight build. He's just offended in spirit 
but the way the the armies of Israel are cowering in the face of this champion of their enemies. And he says, I'm going to take this guy out. And everyone's like, you're crazy. And he finally gets an audience with the king. He's like, king, we can't deal with this. We've got to take this guy out. And the king's like, great, you should go do that. Here's all my armor. <laughs> and they outfit David with all these weapons of war. And David's like, this does not work for me. <laughs> like, I can't even move. And so what does he do? He took off the armor. He took the staff in his hand, again, a shepherd. It's like, what do I got? I got a stick. Got my slingshot for chasing off coyotes. Good enough. Good enough. In the Gospels, we see Jesus, right? He's preaching, he's teaching, crowds are following him. These crowds are hungry for the word he has. They're gathering around, they're wondering who this person is. And you see these crowd in this kind of desolate place, this wilderness, is getting around lunchtime. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you got to send these people away now. They got to go eat. And Jesus says, Well, you feed them. And they're like, Good one, Jesus. Right? This is not an event center. We're like in a field with like 5,000 people, 10,000 people. What do you want? We got, we got a bag of lunch. Five loaves, two fish. Jesus is like, We're good to go. What do you have? What do you have? And he feeds the thousands. Jesus says, bring that here to me. Jesus, when, when, when the, the disciples, the people of Jerusalem are, are welcoming him in and, and, and uh, waving palm branches and declaring him as king and, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders are getting really nervous. He's, they're saying, Jesus, calm your disciples down. Don't They can't be saying these things. And Jesus says, Listen, if, they, if they're silent, the stones will cry out. If I don't have people, the stones will cry out. We see Jesus in Luke 21 pointing out a poor widow dropping two copper coins into the offering. Kind of no, obviously, uh, no big ordeal or, you know, a fanfare. And he points her out and says, this woman has put in more money than anyone because she gave everything she had. Two copper coins. And Jesus lifts her up and says, this is a kingly gift. Kingly. And then Paul reflects on this in his letters to the Corinthians. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, the Lord has said to me, said to Paul, who is asking that his limitations be removed. He said, God, if you take away my limitations, I can serve you better. I can do more for the kingdom. We can, we can go global with this thing if you just unshackle me. And the Lord said to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is an upside-down kingdom. It's a different way of looking at the world, right? God says, what do you have? What have you got? Don't tell me what you don't have. Don't tell me that you don't have enough. Don't tell me you don't have what it takes. What do you have? You have nothing but the breath in your lungs. We'll work with that. We'll work with that. Let me work with it. Go, he says, in the strength you have. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I wonder, what is God calling you to? in your life that just seems impossible or seems terrifying or just exhausting right now I mean what what word what invitation what challenge is the Lord speaking that <laughs> I don't know if you ever do this but like you're tempted to like pretend you didn't hear right what word is God speaking you're, you're tempted to be like ah, I we don't have a good connection I didn't hear that. Because that can't be what you're saying. <laughs> right? You know, because we're, we're, we're trying to do the math and it's not adding up. Like, I'm pretty sure you've got the wrong person here, Jesus, or the wrong circumstances or something. Now, what would it look like for you to take what you do have? And I don't know what you have. You have a stick, you know, a bag lunch, a house, a car, a job, a family, free time. I don't know. What do you have? What would it look like for you to ha take what you do have and give that to the Lord and say, I don't feel like I have what it takes, but what I do have. You can do what you want with it. What would that look like? Like, what is God calling to you? Calling you to? Because whoever you are and whatever you got, it's enough in the hands of God. In the hands of God. Christina has a message for our students.
Anybody who's like super weak, wimps, it's hard, right? I could hardly think of it. So I thought of SpongeBob, but SpongeBob is like, I don't really do SpongeBob. He's pretty wimpy. Yeah, but he's pretty wimpy, right? Like he's like afraid of a lot of stuff. Like he's pretty wimpy. Yeah, and Patrick, SpongeBob and Patrick, they're pretty wimpy, right? Uh, Maddie, did you have an answer? Should I have somebody? Okay, yeah. I've seen that show. We used to watch that show. He's a big wimp. Go ahead. From Harry Potter? Ooh. Don't make me tell all these people that I've never read or seen Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I trust you. I know. But I trust you. Okay. So I thought of, like, even, like, the Cowardly Lion from Wizard of Oz because he's, like, his name is Cowardly Lion, right? Like, he's pretty wimpy. Um, so I can't really imagine, like, those guys being, um, like, big heroes, you know? in a story. Um, but today we're going to talk about Gideon. I don't know if you guys were listening to what Pastor Chris was saying when he was reading the story. Oh, hey, um, I don't know if you guys were, were so we're going to go over the story of Gideon. Okay. So Gideon, um, he was like this, he was like this wimpy little guy. Okay. He was weak. He was like the weakest of the weak. Okay. Um, he was this small guy that God used to do a really big thing. Okay. So I talk really fast anyway. I'm going to go through the story really, really quick with you. And then I'm going to show you guys something. Um, so just um, stick with me. Okay. So um, basically Israel had like turned away from God. Okay. So they were like worshiping idols and that did not make God really happy. Okay. And so what God did was for seven years, um, he allowed the Midianite army. Okay. Like this big army of like these big dudes who would come in and just when the crops were ready for harvest, he, the Midianites would come in to where the Israelites lived and they would just like destroy everything basically. Okay. They would take their crops and they would take their animals and they would just leave everything in like destruction. Okay. So God allowed this to happen for seven years because his people had like turned away from him. Okay. So finally, um, the Israelites, they ride out to God and they were like, God, help us, right? We can't like do this anymore. And so God decided to use Gideon, sorry, good. God decided to use Gideon to um, defeat this huge army, okay? Um, but Gideon is our weak, like wimpy guy, all right? So Gideon is like, God, not me. I'm the weakest of the weak. Why would you use me, right? And so, um, Gideon actually, Gideon actually asks God to show him that he is, have you guys heard this story before? <laughs> so Gideon um, actually asks God for like signs, like God, I need to know that you're going to be with me, okay? And so he says, God, I want you to take that wool over there and make it wet, but leave the ground dry, okay? So like, he's like, that's impossible, but show me you can do that, okay? So God's like, I can do that. <laughs> and so he does it. And Gideon's like, okay, awesome. Like, I think you're going to be with me. But one more thing, just one more thing. Can you take that wool now and make it dry to leave the ground wet? And God is like, yes, I can do that. Like, check, done. Okay. So then after these signs, Gideon is like, okay, God, I believe that you're going to be with me. Okay. So Gideon collects this army. All right. And God looks at, at, at this army, right? They're going to go up against the Midianite army, which is like huge. And God looks at Gideon's army and he goes, uh, too many guys. 
You don't need all of them, okay? You got too many. So tell the ones who really don't want to be here, they don't want to fight, tell them to go. Tell them to go home. Just leave, okay? So 22,000 soldiers leave, and Gideon's left with like 10,000. And he's like, the heck? And so God looks at his 10,000, and he says, um, still too many. Like, you don't need that many, okay? So then God has all the 10,000 guys go to the river, and depending on how they drink from the river, God, like, separates them, okay? So Gideon is actually left with 300 soldiers of his own. Yeah, that's the face he probably would have made, right? When he is left, Shiloh's like, what? Right? When he's left with 300 guys to fight this huge army, okay? And so he's kind of nervous about it. He's like, how am I supposed to take 300 guys and defeat this huge army, right? And so, huh? Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. And so um, so God um, tells Gideon to go to the Midianite camp, okay? So he goes, and he's listening, and there's these two soldiers talking. And one of them says to the other one, um, I had a dream that Gideon was going to, like, defeat us, okay? And Gideon heard that, and he was like, yes, awesome, yes. I know that God is going to, like, be with me, and we're going to do this. And so he skipped, well, he probably doesn't skip back to his camp. But <laughs> so, so he goes back to his camp, okay, and he's, like, worshiping God, and he's like, thank you, thank you. And so he gets his soldiers, right, there's only 300 of them, so he separates them into three different groups, and he gives them, get this, okay, he gives them trumpets and, like, clay pots to, like, fight with, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. And so they um, go to the Midianite camp. They surround the camp. Okay. And when Gideon blows his trumpet, all the other guys blow their trumpets and they throw their clay pots. And it creates like this frenzy. Okay. So like the Midianites are like all confused and, oh my gosh, what's going on? And they 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 start retreating. Like they run away. Um, God even... Um, has them start fighting each other, okay? Yeah, because it was just like chaos. And so that's the story of how Gideon um, took his little army of guys and defeated this huge army, right? They just retreated and, and that was it. That's how, that's how Gideon saved the Israelites, okay? Um, I have a question for you guys, though. Um, why do you think that God only allowed like a small, like 300? Why did he only give him like 300? Yeah. Yeah, so that the guys didn't, like, brag about, right, like, we did this, look, we did, right? So that um, it wasn't just, like, the men on their own, right, that God had to have been there helping them do that, right? So there's this thing that people say, you guys, and I don't know if you've heard it. I hear it a lot in, like, my work and what I do, um, and it's you are enough, okay? Like, people people say that to people, <laughs> okay? Like, you're enough. You can do whatever you set your mind to, right? And I want you guys to grow up, hi, you're mine, listen, I want you to grow up with all the confidence in the world, right, <laughs> that you can set goals, and you can reach them, and whatever you set your mind to, you guys can accomplish anything, right, because you are enough, right, but um, here's the thing, um, by myself, I'm not really enough on my own, okay, but with God, I'm like more than enough, okay, so um, I have a question. Do you guys think that um, we're going to try this and see how it goes. Do you guys think that I can walk through this piece of paper? It's just a regular piece of paper. Do you really? You think I can walk through it? Shh. Do you think I can walk through this piece of paper? You're supposed to say no. 
All right, I'm going to work on that when we finish talking, okay? We're almost done. Um, so, uh, yeah, so by myself, right, I'm really not enough. So when you guys hear people, if you ever hear people say that to you, like, you are enough, go conquer your goals and go reach for your dreams and you are enough, try to remember that you're enough as long as, as long as God's with you. Okay, so I don't really think that Gideon could have taken down the entire Midianite army on his own, right, without God. Anybody think he could have just gone up there and done that by himself? No, I don't think so either. Um, he was afraid, right, in his circumstances, um, but God called him a mighty warrior, right, and he used him to save all of Israel. It's, right, crazy. Um, so sometimes we fight big battles, right? And I don't know if there's anything that you guys are going through right now that feels like it's kind of big. Who's seen Finding Nemo? It's not really looking like much yet. Have you seen Finding Nemo? You know um, Nemo's dad? What's his name? Marlin. You know what he says to Nemo so much of the time? Uh, Nemo. You see Nemo, right? It's Marlin, right? Nemo's, Nemo's swimming around with his little fin, right? And his dad says to him, you think you can do these things, Nemo, but you can't. See? I say that to my kids a lot, too, like when I'm afraid of them doing something. You think you can do these things, Nemo, but you can't, right? God says the opposite of that to us, right? He says, you think you can't do these things, Shiloh, but you can, right? <laughs> All right, this is not looking like much, and I hope I'm doing this right because I'm not really paying I can't really walk through that, though, okay? I'm not really paying great attention. So I don't know if you guys are going through anything. Um, feel free to share if you are, um, but you don't have to. If you're going through something that seems like it's too big to handle, um, sometimes you guys might hear, because you're kids, um, that you are too small or that you are too little or maybe that you're too weak to um, accomplish whatever the heck it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, do you guys have anything that you feel like might be a little too big to handle? Nope. No, you think you can handle everything? Well, at some point in your life, you may come up against something that just feels like it's too much to handle. Um, and like it feels like it's just impossible. All right, let's see this. Let's see if it worked. I'm not really sure. Um, sometimes we face big things, you guys, um, and we think that there's like no way that we can get through them. But we can do anything with God. Just like Gideon learned, if we have God, we don't have to feel discouraged. Look, if I stood up, I could totally fit through this piece of paper. Right? Right? You can totally fit through that piece of paper. <laughs> so um, trust and faith in God, you guys, means that sometimes when you think that things are impossible, that they really are possible. So whoever you are and whatever you have, right, um, as long as you have God with you, like those big things uh, that feel impossible, yeah, yeah, you can do them. You can do them. All right, you can take that with you. You're welcome. <laughs> you got to try it at home. Thanks, Christina. When God calls you, whoever you are, whatever you got, it's enough in his hands, in his hands. The flip side of that is that sometimes 
So God calls you, go in the strength you have. It's going to be enough. Sometimes we approach the world through the strength we think we want. And sometimes the strength we think we want is actually too much. Too much. And Christina told that story how Gideon finally gets his act together. This reluctant hero leader, he is finally convinced to move and, and do this thing that God's calling him to do. And he sounds the trumpets and he gathers an army and some 30,000 plus fighting men rally to Gideon. Which is awesome, right? I mean, Gideon is just full of fear and doubt. He's like, I can't do this, and it's terrible. Like, what are you, I got the, you got the wrong guy. And he finally comes around and says, all right, God, I guess, I guess I'm going to be the guy. So he rallies the army, and everyone shows up, and it's like when 30,000 fighting men appear for Gideon, it's like an answer to prayer. Praise God, right? Supernatural blessing. Right? I mean, if you're praying for an army and an army showed up, praise the Lord. And then God, he sees Gideon's new army, and he says, I can't work with this. I can't work with this, Gideon. It's like, wait, what? Haven't we just been saying that God can work with whatever you got? And I got 30,000 dudes ready to like throw down. That seems like that's a good start. But sometimes it turns out we've got too much. We got too much going for us. Too much strength, cash, talent, comfort, too big a military to actually see God move in power. Because it turns out that God, the Lord, isn't interested in just propping up our illusions of self-sufficiency. That's not what God's into. It, and, it's, and it's not that, that having resources are bad, per se. It, it's not. But there's something about feeling safe and strong and comfortable that unless we're careful, it just tends to quench the fires of faith. It just does. Because I think we find we're quick. We are quick to pray for miracles when we're in crisis, when we're taking risks, when we're being stretched beyond ourselves. And it's like, God, if you don't show up, I am done. Please help me. We are quick to pray for miracles when we're in crisis, and we are just as quick to explain them away when we've got our feet underneath us again. Right? You see, in light of God's calling, there's the strength you have, the strength you actually have before the Lord, which standing before God, whatever you're bringing to the table, honestly isn't that much. Let's just be clear. We can be very impressed with our own resources and talents and gifts and strengths and think, you know, I actually, I kind of got it going on, right? Like, God can do some stuff with me. I got... I got some stuff to offer. But standing before the Lord, whatever you think you have isn't that big of a deal. Okay? There's a strength you have isn't that much. And there's the strength that you think you need. The strength you think you need. But often when what we think we need and what we ask God for are actually the resources to try and take God out of the equation. <laughs> right? Like... I hear God calling me to plant a new church. 
And all I need is $200,000, a band, a killer marketing team, and an awesome venue. And I can do that. Right? Or I hear God calling me to be radically, sacrificially generous. So all I need is a big raise, a better job, or maybe just hit the lottery, and then radical generosity, here I come. Right? You know, I hear God calling me to make disciples. I just need a few years. I've got I to study more, maybe get a seminary degree, then I'll be good to go. Right? Sometimes the strength you think you need is actually too much because that's not what God is intending to work with. Now, whatever resources he gives, whatever resources he offers you, praise the Lord. Right? But there's something about what God says we need, what the strength we have versus the strength we think we need. Often, God and I are not on the same page about what those things are. Okay. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was setting out on a journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him, loved him, loved him, and said, You lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And disheartened by what Jesus said, the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Okay? And see, that's, that's what we have. There's what we have and there's what we think we need. And sometimes what we actually really need is less stuff, less comfort, less confidence, less cash. Sometimes what we need is less stuff so that we're required to learn greater trust in God. Sometimes that's what we need. Unto the glory of God. So God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, I love that you're excited about your shiny new army. It's too big. It's too big. He says, the people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast, saying, my own hand has saved me. Right? See, so when the Lord calls you, it's not about what you think you need. Because whoever you are, wherever you got, it's enough in the hands of God, and he's going to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes his purposes are to make you trust him more unto his glory. And we'll wrap it up. We see the Lord uses Gideon, like Christina said. He, he whittles the army down to 300 guys, gives them trumpets and clay pots, and says, go to town. Miraculously saves Israel from the hand of Midian. And then... 
The men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us. You got something going on. Rule over us and your whole family, for you have saved us from Midian. And Gideon says, I'm not going to do that. No, you should just follow God. But then he says, but give me all the, give me some gold. Just give it here. Takes gold. And Gideon made an ephod, this kind of item of worship. And he put it in his hometown. And scripture tells us that there Israel whored after it. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. <laughs> and it's like, But this is it, right? <laughs> and I, and I want to I believe the best about Gideon. I honestly wanted to believe that like, he, was, uh, he was trying to lead people in worship. He was trying to say, hey, here's, a, here's a, an emblem of the Lord, Lord God. It it's kind of harkens back to the tabernacle and worship. And so I'm, I'm going to try and believe the best about his heart in this thing he made, but it becomes an idol. People are worshiping it instead of God, and the whole cycle starts again. And so we see this, we see this. Again, in this story, we also see the tendency of uh, our, our, our deep desire to fixate on a person, to fixate on a, on a figure, rather than deal direct, deal, actually deal with God. <laughs> right? It was easier for Israel to believe that Gideon had saved them, no matter how absurd the circumstances, than it was for them to believe that it was God and God alone that he was inviting them into a relationship with himself. Right? But that's what God is doing. But altogether, this is the point. Like Gideon, he didn't begin very well. He didn't. Coward, you got the wrong guy, etc., etc. And he didn't end very well. Creating an idol, leading Israel to false worship. Not so great. All right. But here's the thing. God was faithful to accomplish his purposes through Gideon. And he will be faithful to accomplish his purposes for and through you if you will place yourself in his hands. And so whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you got, it is enough, you are enough in the hands of God. We say thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, we name that we are often, we feel like Gideon a fair amount when you call us, like we do not have what it takes, Lord Jesus, that it is, it is more than we can handle just to get through the day, that getting out of bed in the morning is just about all we've got to bring to the table. And when you call us into your purposes, when you call us to be the, the vehicle of your redemptive work in the world, Lord Jesus, it is, it is easy for us to say, you've got the wrong person. I do not have this.